Everybody and welcome to the 319th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that works our alliance with legitimate business people to connive our way into a halo. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, we have a very busy week this week. Lots going on as we lead into Streets of New Capenna. Uh, give me the lowdown on what we're going to cover tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to go over uh, two modern challenges that happened over this past weekend. Some neat, neat stuff going on in there. Uh, after that, we've got some paper, some top movers to talk about in paper and uh, online. Some expected and unexpected things going on there. Uh, next, we've got our cards to watch. You and I have some spicy picks, and there's a, a Discord member pick that, honestly, uh, we should have seen coming. Then we've got both some new Capenna previews to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about what we like, some of the bricks that somebody might want to buy. And we've also got an, a super drop from, from the Secret Lair to discuss. Uh, if you haven't read James's write-up in the Discord, it's a good one. But we also want to give people a chance to hear about our thoughts as well. Yeah, give the podcast folks that haven't yet turned the corner and become pro traders a uh some detailed information about that new super drop so kicking things off we've got the mtgo metagame week in review starting with the modern challenge on april 9th of 2022 in first place here we have dredge in second it was burn third place was yogmoth combo blue red merc tide took fourth and fifth uh one version of the deck was running two jason the mind sculptor and the other had two Thraferi in that slot instead four color omnath was in sixth uh, a relatively rare appearance from Eldrazitron in 7th, although I do think they took down one of the modern challenges sometime in the last month. And then Living End in 8th. A uh, bunch of mid-range plus combo going on going here for the most part. This is also like the deck that won it is a real dredge deck with cards that literally say dredge on them. And it's the... Uh, the sweet, sweet synergies between things like Silver Smoke Ghoul and Creeping Chill into a prized amalgam. Like, you're going to get some ridiculous value off this card. And it just shows that... Uh, do you remember when Leyline of the Void was... like People were starting at main deck? I don't remember exactly when that was, but that was a, a while ago. During Hogak, for sure. During Hogak, for sure. But, like, if you're not ready for this deck, it will eat you alive, and it will not be slow about it either. That Those creeping chills, they'll, they'll soak up half your life before you know what the hell happened. Dredge and Living End have very similar play patterns. Like, assuming things don't go very wrong for them, you're on a clock. And the clock yeah. is not unlike Burn. Burn and Dredge, and, like, the combo decks and Burn 
functionally put you in the same position. You have to race them to their kind of predetermined finish. And they're going to get there because they have a lot of redundancy built into their shells. So you can't stumble. You have to race. And, you know, I, I'm seeing less uh, aggro, you know, not as much hammer, for instance, in this right. meta since, since Lyris left. Kind of what we thought would happen, more combo, uh, about the same amount of mid-range, and then less aggro, and that's exactly what we're seeing. But it doesn't mean those decks are, are out entirely. Over in the Modern Challenge on April 10th, which would have been this Sunday, I believe, um, we had uh, Grixis Shadow was an eighth, so... Uh, not totally off the radar, but that challenge is very much defined by this insanely cool deck that finished in first place. It's a black-white blink list, which is almost its own new archetype. It's not exactly true because we've been seeing... When Modern Horizons 2 previews were going on, early on in the preview season, the, um, the card of the five... Uh, elemental incarnations that people thought was going to be the biggest deal was at first grief because people were talking about the grief ephemerate combo that you do indeed find in this deck but then as that got tested out it kind of fell off the radar completely and things shifted over to the blue elemental for a while endurance was pretty strong right out of the gate and has continued to be so and then solitude came to the forefront and solitude and fury have been the two that have been seeing the most play lately um, but here we have, yeah, indeed, we have the four solitude, since they're blinking and then they're in, in white, but we also have the four grief back on the menu. And it's alongside a bunch of cards that have, to my knowledge, not top-aided modern before. You have a Blade of the Oni, uh, a card I agonized over whether I could include in the limited tournament for the Pro Traders, because um, I was only running a couple of black sources in the deck. Uh, in my blue-white vehicles deck, splashing for Satoru. And I had one of these, but I didn't feel like I could stretch for it. The couple of, I think one of my matches, I chose to pl play my blue-black ninjas build instead, and this blade definitely did work in Limited. But I'm a little surprised to see it showing up in Modern. Well, I mean, if you are getting the uh, free... Uh, wait, this isn't going for the free attach, right? You don't have... There is no uh, free attach. Right. So this is just like you are playing it as a two mana, three one menace that occasionally like upgrades you and it is findable with your stone forges because you're blinking Stoneforge <clears throat> for your choice of batter skull, cauldra complete, your maul, your sword of fire and ice. But sometimes you just need to get the blade of the Oni because you know it's not going to lit. The Stoneforge isn't going to live. So this this makes sense both as a, a creature you can find with Stoneforge and something that you can, if you happen to have the extra mana, you're just going to upgrade something into something terrifying. So, like, can you imagine slapping the blade on the germ token from your batter skull or your cauldra? Or your or your callous blood mage, which produces a pest token from Strixhaven. Um, and then you also have the spirited companions in here, which can be blinked to draw cards, but can also hold one of the, the various equipments, because they also have Sword of Fire and Ice, they have Maul of the Skyclaves, and they have Caldra Complete, and of course, as you mentioned, Batterskull. But there's a ton of cards in here that are specs or speckable from the last couple of years. I mean, this a lot of this deck didn't exist two years ago. Touch the Spirit Realm. I was uh, just going to say that, yeah. 
out of Neon Dynasty, The Blade of the Oni, Callous Blood Mage from Strixhaven, Charming Prince is from Eldraine, Grief and Solitude are from MH2, Lion Sash is from Neon Dynasty, Spirited Companion is from Neon Dynasty. So it's really... And, and then they have five of the DFC lands, two Agadim's Awakening and three Amaria's Call. Um, Plus four Malakir Rebirth. Correct. And then once stuff is either in play or in the yard, they can fool around with getting additional triggers by using Persist, Ephemerate, that Malakir Rebirth, or Undiving, Undying Evil. There is a black-red uh, flickering... Uh, build going around as well that uses um she's the 6-6 who giant out of kaldheim whose name always slips out of my mind even though he's beat me up in historic a million times uh not uro the other one croxa uh yeah so you can undying evil and malakir rebirth croxa to good effect um and anyway this this is not a solved format if a deck like this can take down a challenge so in second, we had Blue-Red Murktide also in third. Living End was in fourth. Dredge was in sixth. Blue-Black Mill in seventh. And then that aforementioned Grixis Shadow in eighth. And then the other really sexy deck is this Mardu Fable Reanimator build that we find in fifth place. Talk to me about this one. Well, uh, this is, you know, three colors. So it's uh, black, white, red. And you've got one Fury, four Grief, and two Solitude. So you've got a package of elementals for stuff you can do on turn uh, one and you're uh, you know you aren't exiling the cards to play them. you're not discarding them but you're trying to do all kinds of broken reanimate things uh, your stitcher supplier is going to fill your graveyard right away it's got four priest of fell rights three persist uh, one touch the spirit realm if you get in there but also four fable of the mirror breaker which does like everything in this deck because you're going to get the 2-2 that gives you the extra token when it attacks. You've got the Faithless Looting, you discard 2, then draw 2. And then you get your Mirror Breaker, who if it stays in play, like if you start copying the tokens or the stuff that comes into play with Priest or your Pyromancer, like you're going to get ridiculous value, and we love that. One of the Pro Traders submitted Malakir Rebirth Foils to double up this year um and they might even do a little better than that you can currently get them for about three dollars there's 56 listings no major walls um so far and between the usefulness of this card in commander and this kind of tier two plus fringe play in modern these seem like a pretty solid bet uh it's a it's a useful and unique effect um dfc lands don't seem like they're going to get reprinted all that often and yeah i mean this wasn't our first pick of the week but uh, it was pretty close Mm-hmm. i like it so much that uh i i am very sure i gotta go back in my database i think i've written about malachir rebirth foils and uh i'm pretty sure i bought some i gotta go look fable of the mirror breaker continuing to do work in modern not looking like a flash in the pan that is Indeed, not a flash in the pan Indeed looking like a powerful card that in many ways probably just disrupts Kiki Jiki itself. Like I think when people first saw this, they went, oh, it's it's you know, it's a Kiki Jiki you can't use right away. But the reality is it's a Kiki Jiki you cast on three, and by the time you get to five, you've garnered some value along the way without it clogging up your hand for that period of time. 
Right, like it doesn't have the triple red. We we needed time to learn that these sagas that turn into creatures are really good. You know, you're not getting the creature immediately, but you're getting value, value, boom. And especially with this one, because you do get the 2-2 Shaman right away that gives you the treasure tokens. So, like, this is a card of, if they don't, like, give us a secret layer with this immediately, this one's going to be one of end up being one of the most expensive cards in the set. It's just all over the place. Starts with a blocker that can turn into mana advantage if they're not capable of blocking. On the next turn, you get to fill the yard for your future reanimation. Yeah. And then you get Kiki. So, uh, pretty interesting build. Looks looks like a solid list. Like, I'm sure that there is some plenty of finicking going on amongst the various pilots in terms of where they want three copies of things, four copies, maybe they want a one of here, and do they want four Archon of Cruelty or just three? You know, how many Touch the Spirit Realm are you playing? But between black-red Mardu and black-white strategies, we're seeing a lot of this flicker reanimation uh, overlap and that probably bodes well for related cards how long until uh torpor orb is a main deck card in modern man it's a card i hate i hate it in commander but like in modern some of these decks are just going to be so sad yeah i mean torpor orb definitely does some work against some portion of the field i think uh, as with a lot of uh potential sideboard cards moved to the main it's going to work best where you have ways of tutoring it up. Like if you're running four Urza Saga and you're going to get a Nile Spell Bomb or something. Those yeah. are the situations where, for instance, Jund uh, Saga can can afford to move some of that stuff into the main. But when it's... I, I, I think you would want to be... In the case of something like Torpor Orb, maybe that's a sideboard card that you want to pull up with Karn the Great Creator in lists that can afford it. Um, anyway... Uh, pretty cool metagame looking in reasonable shape post-Luris. Moving on over to top paper movers of the week. All sorts of action here. Archmage's Charms out of Modern Horizons 1. Just regular copies going from $22 to $31. Keep in mind that this got reprints uh, in the form of foil etched versions and old border foils in Modern Horizons 2. But regular uh, copies did not get uh, fresh action, right? Was there... Regular old border. Sometimes the details of Modern Horizons two. There, are, there, are, there are no non-foil retro. Um, yes. So, makes sense that the non-foil Archmage's Charms are on the move because people need them as paper play comes back to the forefront. And the only though the the versions that you could get from MH two boxes were fancy, especially the OBFs. Uh, I've sold made some good money on the Japanese OBFs. Um. You know, not surprising at all to see these on the move. Now, taking a look at some foils. Thing in the Ice foils out of Shadows over Innistrad have gone from 16 to 24. This is another one of those roller coaster cards on the back of Pioneer hype. Things like Smuggler's Copter, Arclight Phoenix, etc. along the way since the announcement of the format. And uh, Thing in the Ice has definitely been a part, uh, a part of that <laughs> as well. Pioneer Blue-Red Phoenix usage is the driver there. Um... I don't remember if I have any of these left in inventory or if I've sold them along the way. It's probably something I need to check. Uh, next, we have Maddening Hex Extended Arts out of the Adventures of the Forgotten Realms Commander products. I guess the EAs only came out of the CBs for, Correct. for that set. And they went from 6 to $12. This is on the back of 4,000 decks in EDH Rec. I didn't clock whether there is a new Capenna connection here. 
but if somebody knows what it is, feel free to tell us uh, in between casts and we'll flag it next week. Temporal Trespass out of Fate Reforged went from $21 to $46, also being used as a one or a two of in the blue-red Phoenix list for Pioneer, and it's a single printing card. And now we've got a, there's a bunch of cards that have taken off because of the Beamtown Bullets, which were a card revealed for New, Streets of New Capenna Commander decks. I thought it was Pres- Bullies. Uh, yeah, Bullies, sorry. Uh, magicspoiler.com has it as bullets, but yes, it is bullies. Okay. Uh, so this card reads, it's a 4-4 Ogre Devil Warrior with Vigilance and Haste. And it reads, tap, target opponent whose turn it is, puts target non-legendary creature card from your graveyard onto the battlefield under their control. It gains haste. Goad it. At the beginning of the next end step, exile it. So... You are forcing an opponent to take one of the creatures from your graveyard, put it into play, and attack somebody with it. What cards might you want to do that with? Well, for instance, you might want to do it with Leveler, which eradicates your entire deck. You might want to do it with Phyrexian Soul Gorger, which has a cumulative upkeep cost of sacrificing creatures. You might want to do it with uh, Eater of Days, which forces you to skip two turns. You might want to do it with Hellcarver Demon, uh, which forces you to sack a whole bunch of stuff. And then they're using Despotic Scepter out of Ice Age to exile cards that you own. So basically you let them get the hit in, and then you can, in case there would be some lingering benefit to them holding that creature, you can basically push it into your exile zone and let them not get any trailing benefit. And as a result, all of those aforementioned cards have have been on the move. We saw Phyrexians, we saw Leveler go, the Time Spiral Remastered copies go from a dollar to two fifty, hundred and fifty percent gains. Phyrexian Soul Gorger foils from Cold Snap go eighteen to forty six, hundred and fifty percent gains. We saw Despotic Scepters go from two to ten dollars, four hundred percent. Eater of Days one fifty to eight dollars from Dark Steel, four hundred percent plus gains. And then the Hell Carver Demons were the big winner of the week. $1.50 to 15 900% gains. Here's the thing. I, I would very... I, I'm not, I wouldn't be chasing any of these. Right. I would certainly be pulling these out of my bulk because these are all cards that have, in large part, had trouble finding homes in the past. So if you've been playing Magic for a while, you might have various copies of these things just sitting around, and you're absolutely going to want to sell them to the hype for a couple of reasons. A, these are extremely narrow cards. And if Beamtown Bullies doesn't take off then these go nowhere. They've also, a lot of these cards have spiked so high off speculation um, that you just want to be selling into that hype cycle before it rescinds. The other thing is, there's just no track record for the bullies. We don't know it's going to be one of the top five commanders in the set, and if it's not, these prices are not going to hold at all. I mean, you you always want to sell crappy cards that spike into the hype because it's going to go back down to something close to its original. There's not going to be 20,000 people building this card. It looks cool, but you're going to play it once or twice and you're going to realize nobody does anything fair with the card. And so you're just going to get stomped on. So I I get... I get that there's a lot of cool things you can do with it. I just, I, I agree with you. You need to be selling into the spike and not like trying to hold your Hell Carver for 20 or $30 or 
your leveler to get to five dollars let that shit go like don't hold on to it you're going to get more than you ever thought you could get for it and uh and don't hang on it's it's free money on this particular class of cards just be it's it's one thing when something when a card gets activated permanently by the advent of some new broad mechanic like if you have something like revel in riches an early treasure card, and then you're seeing the compounding effect of additional more and more treasure cards being added as a major theme in the game. That's a different story, because that's a previously useless card that it now has plenty of reasons to find a home in a bunch of different decks. This is a, this is a totally different situation. This is extremely narrow cards, you know, your the Phyrexian Dreadnought type cards, where if there's an opportunity, you know, you know, at some point there was a Dreadnought deck in Legacy. And that was the week he wanted to sell Dreadnoughts. <laughs> um, give you another example. We've got Planebound Accomplice out of Modern Horizons 1. A jank rare that I invested in, not heavily, but I have 150 copies of it acquired at about 60 cents a piece. That's heavily, dude. I don't. I, what What isn't heavily if you're not in for 150 copies? Well, because it's times 0. 0.6. So <laughs> it's like it's less than $100 total. I wouldn't call that a heavy investment. I'd call um, that a solid brick. That's a it's, that's a it's a it's a brick, but it's a cheap brick, right? And it doesn't really affect my okay. Okay. my year one way or the other. And and my bad specs box is full of this kind of nonsense. Like you're, there's probably twenty or thirty examples of similar things where you take a flyer on something that might get activated one day. And indeed, th- this is exactly what's going on here because Vivian, uh, the new Vivian for this set, is a combo with this card where you can basically go off um, in a couple of different ways um, by putting Vivian into your hand and, uh, sorry, into play off the back of Planebound Accomplice and then Vivian doing some some funky things. So I was watching the, as that combo was circulating on the internet, I took a look at Card Kingdom's buy list and it hadn't moved. They were basically, basically had not started offering any more than I had paid on this card. But as of today, they're offering $1.25 cash, $1.63 credit. Now, you see that this card has supposedly gone from $0.50 cents to $4, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to wait for it to get to 10 nope. The thing is, Vivian's not a commander, so you've, you've got to find a deck where you're squeezing both of these cards in, and it works with everything else you're doing. There's some outside chance that this will be a fringe deck that Aspiring Spike will try to put together for Modern, but I have significant doubt that this is going to be, you know, Splinter Twin. A new Splinter Twin for Modern. If I'm wrong about that, so be it. I'll, I'll accept that. But I am for sure going to log a buy list order with Card Kingdom after the cast tonight for at least two-thirds of my plane bound accomplices at this easy double-up in two years. Uh, how many copies are there? Is their buy list accepting? Lots. Like, they're at 147, so I can get rid of almost oh. all of them if I want to. I mean, you could do the whole brick, have a good time. I suspect it's going to be like two-thirds to three-quarters of the brick I'm going to let go here, and then we'll see what happens. Look at you covering your spread. When when you have a bad spec and something like this happens, don't hold your breath to see if it works out. Just I'm, take take your exit and move on. I'm for that. I'm very All right, for that. so a couple of the things on the move here. Here's a weird one. Uh, actually, Sage's Reverie. Not weird. Fate Reforged foils 11 to 34. That's light pause driving that. Sage's Reverie is, uh, fits perfectly into that deck. Uh, Brea Ethereum Shaper foils from Double Masters going 12 to 38 in the same week that they revealed the secret layer 
having a gilded version of Brea. Now, that you would think that that's counterintuitive, but I suppose what's going on there is many people in our Discord were not very impressed with the art on those cards and felt like it wasn't... Was, that the original art was better. So maybe someone decided to take a flyer on that on the premise that the original art would be preferred to the secret layer version, and they just went ahead and tried to corner the foils from Double Masters. Worth noting, Brea was not one of the foil borderless uh, cards you could get in the VIP packs for the original Double Masters. So the only fancy Breas that exist are those, outside of the secret layer ones, are the foils from Double Masters and the original foils, but those come out of a commander deck, so they're not all that nice. They, they tend to curl quite a bit. I mean, Double Masters foils do too, but not quite as bad. This is not a play I would have made, but I suspect it was a supply-side play because there just right. aren't that many of the foil mythics left from Double Masters. That That's what I was going to say, is that like the art, I'm, I'm looking at it now, and I'm sure in Gilded Foil it's going to look sweet. They gave her a jaunty hat made out of Ethereum. You can literally see through her stomach like she's Goldie Hawn and Death Becomes Her. Like, this... It's totally reasonable art. If it's not your favorite, I can respect that. But uh, I think this was more of the supply than anything else. There's three listings left on TCG Player. One at $12 and then $40 and $40. So I think you just snap that 12 off. I'll, I'll leave, leave it for somebody who hears the cast. Yeah, the first, um, one, first listener gets the prize. We got Bosium Strip out of Weatherlight going from 7 to 27. Pretty sure that's a reserve list card. And probably underplayed overall in Commander. I mean, if you're playing in... Grixis, Jeskai, blue-red uh, spells-based decks, then getting it basically functions like a repeatable Snapcaster, um, yep. which is pretty solid. It is indeed on the, reser- on the reserve list. Yeah. Devoted Druid out of Ultimate Masters went from 3 to 18. That's an uncommon. Fairly impressive there. Uh, on the back of Luxior, because the new equipment revealed, uh, mythic equipment revealed for Streets of New Capenna, uh, it was first noted as being the first way to turn planeswalkers into creatures, but is also a combo with Devoted Druid. Um, because the creature gets uh, plus one, plus one for each counter on it, and when you use Devoted Druid, it gets a minus one, minus one counter, so it gets a plus one, plus one counter, which cancels it out, which allows you to keep using it and go infinite. It doesn't get an extra counter that cancels out, it's just every minus counter you put on it makes it bigger, and it doesn't shrink, is the main thing. The counters don't get removed. So if you kill the equipment mid-combo, like they can still tap it for infinite mana unless you have uh, the split se- uh What is it? The green split second? Cross and grip. Cross and grip. You're going to need some cross and grip action to interfere with the combo. But yeah, like Devoted Druid just keeps finding fun combos. This is, what, the third combo that works with it? Like you got the Vizier... You've got um, this one, and there's one other that escapes me. Um, Capatra? I can't remember for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I remember what the other one is. But it, it it just keeps coming back to Devoted Druid is starting to feel like a mistake. Like, it, they keep printing things that, that make it infinite. It's, it's the kind of templating that tends to eventually garner an infinite combo. Yes. Uh, Next on this list, something more mystifying. Oshatai Exemplar foils went from $1.50 to $10. This is a mid-range value card from the uh, Tarkir block. Dragons of Tarkir, last set. 
shows very little play on EDH Rec. It's not played in any Pioneer decks that I'm aware of, so I'm wondering if there is a commander, like a Streets of New Capenna connection I'm missing here. Uh, I don't know either, but this was a Mythic in the Dragon set, which, um, if you remember, like, you were opening one pack of Fate Reforged and two packs of Dragons of Tarkir. So, like, the supply is not as great as, like, a Cons of Tarkir Mythic. And so, you know, it's... There probably weren't that many foils out there. This is a card from 2015. So, um, it might just have taken somebody trying to make a thing happen. On April 8th, a whole bunch of copies got bought. So I'm right. assuming there's some kind of Streets of New Copenic connection that I haven't I haven't clocked yet. If you guys know what it is, let us know. Yeah. Um, and then that wraps up the list, because we already talked about Plane Bound Accomplice and Hellcarver Demon. Most of what's going on this week, Streets of New Capenna Driven. And we're going to see that for the next couple of weeks. I'm sure. Moving on over to top Magic Online movers of the week, we've got mostly Pioneer action here. Kalita's Trader of Get out of Oath of the Gatewatch going from 3.2 ticks to 6.2, almost 100% gains on the back of being played in red-black vampire mid-range decks in Pioneer. Lotus Field combo is one of the top decks in that format. Went from 13.5 tickets to 28 tickets, 112% gains. Storm Carved Coast, the dual blue-red dual land out of Vow, went from 3.6 ticks to 8.2 on the back of both standard and pioneer play demand. Let me tell you, there's a lot of money being made on Magic Online uh, this in the last 12 months. Uh, a lot, a lot. So if you're interested in all that, get on into our Discord and check out the, the channel where they are tracking and planning around that pretty much daily. And short selling, which is always an amazing thing to watch happen in real time. Yeah, I mean, that that just still makes me cackle that that's even possible in Magic Online. Uh, <laughs> Days Undoing in Magic Origins, going from 3.5 tickets to almost 8 tickets, 126% gains. That's because you can run the Narset combo that's good in Legacy in Pioneer uh, with Narset, Parter of Veils, and Days Undoing, where you basically get a one-sided time twist. Oh, it's so good. So good. People uh, just fold. Alrighty, let's uh, move on over here to Cards to Watch. I've got a couple of uh, interesting ones here worth discussion. How about we start with Wedding Announcement, Foil Extended Art. Wedding Announcement is in 2000X EDH Rec, but more to the point, from a supply side perspective, these are down to just 11 listings with no walls. And you could only get these in the Vow uh, Collector Boosters. And we're down to 28 listings non-foil. And for the foils that I'm calling, we are down to, well, now it's 13 listings, not 11. But again, no major walls and a very steep ramp. So this is the card where at the beginning of your end step, you put an invitation counter on wedding announcement. If you attacked with two or more creatures this turn, you draw a card. Otherwise, you create a 1-1 white human creature token. Then if it has three or more invitation counters on it, transform it. I'm not sure if people are going after this because of the go-wide Naya token strategy in Streets of New Capenna. And I'm not sure if they care. They think that this is going to be mean something for standard or standard and EDH or just EDH. It could be a combination of both. Either way, there's very clearly a supply side thing happening here. That's a very strange amount of cards available for something that like shouldn't be this rare 
Like, it just, it's pretty strange. Like, um, pre-release cards, there's not a lot left over. Uh, so, like, those foils. Uh, there's a bunch of non-foil of the double feature version. And there's a surprising number of double feature foils available in the, you know, 11, 12, 13 range. So well, not not really not really a surprising I mean surprising amount if you believe that double feature foils should be basically sold out but we're only talking about 16 listings there as well. Well and what no I'm major, saying is that like no major walls. There's more double feature but, than there is true. FEA. But those is, were opened but those were opened 3 months later so that does make sense. Yeah but this this is not seeing the commander somebody is loving this card a lot of people are somebody is sucking all the copies out of the market so you're right, the supply is there. Normally, I would say that like a rare, even in FEA, that doesn't have the, uh, the commander support, um, I would be waiting on. But like, like you said, somebody has been buying up lots and lots of wedding announcement uh, foils. It's and... worth flagging that the flip side of this is a crusade. Gives all your creatures plus one, plus one. So right. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's the go-wide Naya token strategy in New Capenna that's triggering this um let's people are see. people are assuming that the new that the go wide commander will be playing this card i mean it's a pretty safe bet it's a it's a good card and it started to ramp though um you know a month ago you know two months ago according to tcg's chart if you believe them huh I, it's interesting so, bit of a curious one but i noticed the supply dearth so decided to flag it uh, it's the kind of thing people might have sitting around from cracking bow that they might want to sell into the hype cycle once it gets up over 10. Um, or you might want to just snap off a few extra copies locally if they're still cheap and uh, see what happens. Okay, I can I can buy that. All right, uh, I know this next one has been on cast before, but it's been a while, so talk to me about uh, the Masterpiece series Chromatic Lantern. Now, I looked, and it wasn't on this spreadsheet. I didn't look at any of the other spreadsheets, so... If, it would have been a couple it, years back, probably. Yeah, a couple years back. That would be fine. But it is time to notice that uh, Chromatic Lantern Masterpieces are getting super rare. I mean, it's in 100,000 EDH rec decks. Like, 10% of all decks have it registered. Right now, on TCG, uh, near-mint foils are going to cost you around 150 There's a cut. There's, like, one heavily played that's down to, at 120 here in the U.S., but... If you go across to Europe, you will find it for under $100. Uh, it's like 80-some-odd euro. The conversion rate is like 1.1 for us right now. So the the arbitrage is there. Uh, Card Kingdom right now is giving $85 credit. So you're basically paying for shipping and about 10 or 15%. And you're there. Uh, this is clearly the best version of the card they're ever going to have. And uh, this is, I'm picking it to go, you know, 100 to $250. It's going to take, you know, just a handful of sales for this to cross $200. And from there, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I think this is fine as a repeat because of the timeliness of where this curve is at now. You just got eight, li nine listings left on TCG Player near Mint and goes very, very quickly up the curve. And if you believe, if you listen to Command Zone, those guys have said a few different times on a few different episodes that they think Chromatic Lantern is passe, um, that three mana rocks 
aren't necessary or don't cut it anymore in higher level commander but uh a i don't think people are optimizing their decks all that much uh b they're easily bamboozled by the fanciness of premium versions of well-known cards and c in my personal experience in three four and five color decks this is this card is still easily earns its keep I was going to say, speak carefully because it's in every one of my three color or, f- or five color decks. So Mine too. It's, it, it just fixes problems when it come, comes into play. Like you, you stop having to worry about counting mana to do a double black and a double, and a double blue thing on the same turn. You just breathe a sigh of relief and go, okay, now, now I just have to count lands, period. Um, and yeah, I, I think the card is still going to, even if like the CEDH leaning players may lean away from three and casting cost rocks there is still the vast majority of player edh players are still in that middle casual group and there is plenty of overlap between them and whales with the money to spend on kaladesh inventions so yeah i think this is well timed and a good selection uh my next one is welcoming vampire double feature which is i think probably my first double feature pick uh (laughs) double feature foils uh, on the back of them being down to 17 listings, they started about $23. Pretty steep ramp, and I would imagine that these are going to end up closer to 45 within a year. This is Because it's a white card, it looks better in the black and white silver sulfide treatment than a lot of the other ones do. And Welcoming Vampire is in a massive 11,000 decks on EDH Rex already. So between being one of the top non-land rares from Crimson Vow, as echoed in its popularity on EDH Rec, relatively low inventory, and a strong uh, layer of protection from reprint. Like, will the Welcoming Vampire catch a reprint in future? Oh, for sure. Will the double feature Silver Sulfide Foils catch a reprint? No. Probably never again. So these will end up being the priciest version of the card for some time to come. I dig it. Uh, I've picked double feature foils before, and uh, this one, you know, it's got the whole, uh, as soon as you get cheap things, you get to draw cards for it. It does have the only once per turn, that just means you have to time when you're doing things to get more tokens. But yeah, this is uh, this is great. I, I didn't know it was so popular on EDH Rec already, and that speaks well to where it's going to go. Because if you're playing a lot of little tokens, you want to get a card every time you do. It's a very solid pick. Welcome to the, the double feature fold, buddy. I had a fun historic deck that had a bunch of cat oven related combos, and I ran a couple copies of Welcoming Vampire because it was pretty busted in that context. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. One point drain plus a card on my turn and yours. It's it's really good. I've, I've got an Iara deck that does uh, something similar to that. All right. What's your next selection here? My next pick is a little bit obscure, but it's uh, a Battle Bond foil rare uh, called Generous Patron. Uh, this is two and a green for a 1-4. When it comes into play, support two, which means you get to put a 1-1 one, one counter on each of up to two other target creatures. And then whenever you put one or more counters on a creature you don't control, you get to draw a card. And uh, this is highlighted by a friend of mine, shout out Jesus, uh, as really good with the new commander named Kroos. Um, 
who puts counters on a shield counter on something and then it goads it. And then there's one other thing. Let me look up the stupid card. It's Crow's Defense Contractor. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a shield counter on target creature and opponent controls. Whenever you put a counter on a creature you don't control, tap it and goad it. So it gains trample until your next turn as well. So like you are just going to get somebody stomped in the face and you're drawing cards and you're safe from all of it. And it's really, really amazing. So Battle Bond being from so long ago, there's hardly any of this left. Uh, right now there's uh, one page of foils going from, near mint foils anyway, going from $10 uh, right up to $20. Uh, I'm picking it to go uh, 10 to 25 There's a bunch of copies in Europe too if you want. Uh, you can get some under $8. And you know now that we're giving counters away, drawing a card every time we do that seems like where I want to be. Not the kind of card I tend to uh, gravitate towards during preview season because, again, I think it's pretty narrow and dependent on this specific commander seeing uh, enough excitement to justify it. But being a battle bond only single printing foil certainly helps a little bit. So I wouldn't want a, bit, a deep pile of these, but I'd be willing to snap off a small handful and uh, test the waters. Wouldn't be a huge priority for me, but I, I understand the logic. Um, moving right along to my final pick, uh, I, I think we're fine. This is now, this now completes the, <laughs> the full cycle. <laughs> I'm pretty sure all five of the elemental incarnations, uh, from Modern Horizons 2 have been selected on this cast at one point or another. Uh, and this time we're going to talk about the Grief Foil Borderless. They look great. They were completely off the radar for a while. Now they're back on the table and showing up all over the place in th two or three different shells in modern. It's almost always a four of. And according to Goldfish, it's in about 7% of modern decks right now at that like 3.7 copies per per deck. Um, and that leads me to believe that the 46 listings left on TCG Player where nobody has more than four or five copies for sale on a relatively steep ramp is going to lead to these going from 30 to $50 plus inside a year. That seems destined to be true that living living end runs copies reanimator strategies run it the blink strategies run it and the rakdos mid-range are, are running it it has just crested into the top 25 most played creatures in modern as a format and it has a modicum of edh rec support uh 1700 decks have registered the card there mostly in the mono black uh discard matter strategies like tiny bones I mean, I'm not worried about the commander appeal of the card. It's just, uh, it's right up there with uh, Thoughtseize and Inquisition of Kozilek, and it's really good with this whole Blink suite. So yeah, I'm I'm really for this card, and you know, waiting to go on hitting for the cycle, bud. Uh, this is uh, as solid as it's going to get because it's a mythic. Modern Horizons two is just chock full of value, and I think when they get around to doing Modern Horizons three. I'm just going to buy everything. I'm just going to buy every single thing I can and not even worry about it because it'll all make <laughs> money. Uh, we're going to have opportunities like that pretty shortly here with the Commander Legends uh, Baldur's Gate set. I think the pre... the waiting list for our first wave of Baldur's Gate's collector booster boxes is looking like our biggest group buy ever. 
Um, so definitely some hype building for that set. And then right on its heels, we'll have Double Masters 2, which will likewise be extremely popular. Will you uh, even have any money left after that? I don't think I will. Me, me personally? I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are saving. There are definitely pro traders who are passing on other opportunities, getting ready for a busy summer. Let's put it that way. Um, so talk to me about this this last selection of yours. I think this is a good one, given what we know about the Naya tribe coming out of New Capenna. Okay. I have had the token deck before. Uh, it was a Sliver Queen deck. Uh, it was super sweet. I didn't have any other slivers in the deck. I always had to tell people that at the beginning. Um, but I had all kinds of things that enabled my tokens to go crazy on uh, the turn they come into play because nobody likes sitting around with a bunch of awesome tokens. And one of the things that did a lot of work for me and it has not caught a reprint at all since way back in the day is In the Web of War. This is a three red-red enchantment from uh, Betrayers of Kamigawa, the middle set, the one with the original ninjas, uh, 2005. And uh, it's five-mana enchantment. When, it when a creature comes into play under your control, it gets plus two, plus zero, and gains haste of Twin Love Shurn. So that means even your one-ones jump down and slam for three. And if you've got other things to make your tokens amazing, let me tell you, this gets out of hand real quick. There are other cards that will give haste, but nothing that gives the same level of, oh my god, uh, this is incredibly broken. Um, I think Ogle, Ogre Battle Driver, it gives haste, but I don't think it... Uh, Ogre Battle Driver, if you've ever played with it, uh, is similar, but that's a creature and dies all the time. When a creature comes into play, it gets 2-0 in haste. This is the enchantment version, and Battle Driver has caught some reprints. Right now, in the Web of War, uh, is is only available in the one printing, in Betrayers of Kamigawa. It's got you know a handful of foils available, and I think that right now you can get your foils for ten to fifteen here, and they're going to jump pretty hard once the market is completely drained. There's six near mint foils available on TCG total, so I'm picking it to go uh, twelve to thirty. Yeah, I mean, for as long as this dodges a reprint, this card, the foils of this card are going to start getting pricey because tons of tokens matter stuff in New Capenna. We have Fabine, Boss's Confidant, as a potential commander. Three red, green, white, Cat Advisor, three, six. Creature tokens you control have haste, so there's some overlap there with Web of War. And then Parlay, at the beginning of combat on your turn, each player reveals the top card of their library. For each land card revealed, you create a 1-1 green and white cit creature, citizen creature token. Then creatures you control get plus 1 plus 1 until end of turn for each non-land card revealed this way. Then each player draws a card. So let's say two of your opponents reveal lands. You get two new tokens. And then one of them draws... Uh, uh, reveals the other uh, a non-land card and gives all the tokens plus one plus one and let's say you have in the web of war in play as well that means you're getting uh four two two four two tokens that are swinging immediately at minimum assuming you don't have any other synergies going on or a pile of pre-existing tokens so you could be swinging pretty hard on every combat step um, that comes around on your turn Fibine looks like a very solid uh, tokens commander, and there's a bunch of other options, both in New Capenna and, you know, before the set even existed. 
So, yeah, I think In the Web of War, for as long as it dodges reprints, looks very good. It's the kind of card that could show up randomly in Double Masters 2 or somewhere else and finally get a reprint. But it could also go another 20 years without one. So, yeah, seems solid. It, it's almost been 20 years. It's been uh, 18 years. Yeah. 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 Uh, All right. So we got us about. Our, yeah. This one's good. Pro, Pro Trader uh, selection of the week from uh, Pro Trader K, a uh, fellow Canadian, um, selecting Wash Away Foils from Crimson Vow to go 250 to $5, hoping for a buy list play. Now. This is, this is worth some discussion. Yes, this card is very unique in the sense that it can counter somebody's commander for one blue, and it's seeing plenty of play as a result. There's 7,800 decks registered with it on EDH Rec uh, in the few months since it was released. Th those are good stats and a good reason to be looking at the card. Currently, however, the foils are only, for instance, through Card Kingdom, they're only offering 65 cents on the buy list. And you can currently get them at like two to two fifty, so no coverage there. So you're taking a naked flyer on this card being good versus commanders, unique in that sense. The backup plan is it's a three mana counter spell, which is not a bad fail case at all. There's a low variant count here because the only other versions of this are the double feature foils, and they're already fifteen dollars. If it's me personally, given the way I tend to run my spec business, I'm probably going after some double feature foils. Four, maybe eight copies at 15 apiece, hoping to double them up. On the premise that the double up is not obvious yet for the pack foils, they probably will get there, but I couldn't tell you if it's six, 12, or 18 months out, whereas the double feature foils might turn the corner inside six months, simply on minuscule supply. I mean... It's already in 8,000, nearly 8,000 uh, Commander decks online, which is pretty impressive for a card that came out uh, four months ago? Five. Right? Five months ago? Um, that's a lot of inclusion, and like, but it, it's one mana to counter the Commander. What's not to love about that? I think this is a really solid play. Um, I want to be in on foils. I want uh, double feature versions. I want anything that isn't the basic one. Uh, I don't think they're going to reprint uh, this particular mechanic of cleave anytime soon, but I can totally see this being like included in a commander deck in the next year or two. So like I don't want to be in on on the regular versions, but foils, double feature non foils, those I'm I'm a believer for, and this is a, a rock solid pick I think. All right, so $25 gift certificate to our lovely sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc. for K. Now would probably also be a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. customer rewards program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon, Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off magic singles and assorted minis. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. I just used that program again last weekend to great effect, so trust me, it is worth it. Um, all right, so let's move on to a couple of interesting topics, uh, one of which is the new Capenna previews for the last week since we last talked. Lots of interesting cards um, have been revealed. I, I think we haven't seen everything yet, and I already right. feel pretty, pretty confident this is a superior set to, say, Strixhaven in the same release slot last year. Um, I don't see a ton of modern impact cards here um, outside of some you know, weird combos. 
um, that are probably likely to stay on the fringes. But I do see a ton of EDH-focused stuff here. So I think we've got plenty to chew on. And a lot of this would normally come up in our full set review, but I don't see any reason to hold back um, giving people some priority brick targets. And when we're talking about bricks, again, <laughs> we're, we're, we're typically talking about cards that are so obviously good that grabbing 20, 50, 100 copies of them and then holding for 6, 12, 18, 24 months is very, very likely to pay off for you in, in a persistent way. And of course, uh, speculation and collectibles in general getting better and better uh, given that we're in an era of high inflation. Um, holding the things that scale as the money scales is much better than holding the money, generally speaking. So whether you're talking about real estate, uh, stocks, or collectibles, all of this stuff is is uh, worth doubling down on uh, in the near future. Now, specific to New Capenna, lots of stuff caught my eye. How about Unlicensed Hearse? This is a new vehicle card that for two mana, I believe, you can tap this thing and exile two cards from somebody's graveyard. And the, the nice thing about this is though it is more expensive than some other uh, graveyard targeting effects, which tend to run about one mana per, and it doesn't get rid of an entire graveyard. Um, so if you need to get rid of 40 cards to prevent some nastiness from going down, this doesn't really get you there. The fact that it's targeted and and repeatable is pretty interesting. And then it's got a uh, late stage game plan where once you have exiled a bunch of cards, you can crew this thing up and attack and its power and toughness are based on the total number of cards that it has exiled along the way. So it's two mana for a vehicle, which is you don't have to turn it into a creature till you're ready. And it can, it can go to work and probably be innocuous enough on board that it's gonna get, you're going to get your utility out of it. And then somewhere down the road, when you've done it four or five times, you're going to be attacking with a 10-10. I mean, this seems super solid. I'll be really curious to see if this gets play. Like, you don't want to play Nile Spellbomb if you can't pay the black and draw the card. That seems pretty lame. You might not like a Relic of Progenitus because it exiles your graveyard too. You know, if you're playing the dredge deck, uh, you want to be judicious with what you do that interacts with the other person, with interacts with graveyards. So this has a lot of potential, and I'm I'm pretty stoked to see uh, what kind of stuff uh, comes up here. The thing I like about this is that it's an auto include in all of the vehicle focused commanders, and there's at least four or five of those now. Um, I rebuilt my Brea deck last weekend to play with the Pro Traders to be Brea vehicles. So I basically have all the relevant vehicle cards in there. And I think I would find a slot for this um, because I don't really have a anti-graveyard tech in the deck anywhere. And But the nice thing about it is it's a colorless anti-graveyard card that can fit in any deck. You don't need to be in vehicles to make this work. You just need to... The primary function is just to deal with graveyards. And then it's going to be easy in almost any deck to crew for two. So eventually being able to swing as a heavy hitter for two mana seems like it has broad applications to me. Um, I'm not convinced this won't just end up being dirt cheap for a long time. That seems pretty uh, likely. But I would it's like one of those cards I'm going to put on my maybe list. Uh, I don't think it's one of the... We're going to go through like 10 cards here, and I don't think this is anywhere near the top of the priority uh, list. But 
say midsummer when everybody's distracted by Baldur's Gate and Double Masters 2, might be worth double checking on this, comparing its uh, low point on TCG to the buy list offer at Card Kingdom and CSI, etc., and see where we're at. And if they look like they're relatively even, it might be a signal that you're supposed to pick some up. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly happy to to wait a while and let this get to you know, sideboard status in modern, and then, you know, snag a brick to buy list for two or three times what I paid. That's that's my plan with this card. So but is... I'll also be waiting to see what EDH rec stats look like on this card. If it's in the top five or ten uh, non-land cards in the set, then it will have my attention. True. If it falls to the top 25, then it will not. Okay. Now, let's move on to something that is much more obvious. How about treasure stash? Sorry, Smuggler's Stash, but it is a treasure stash. It's an insane treasure hoarding card. What is this thing? It's a mythic for five green, which pissed, I'm sure pissed plenty of people off when it was revealed today. Because yeah, that it's a green card. Like green did not does not need all this treasure-specific stuff. Green already ramps hard on its own. This should definitely been, have been in another color, but whatever. No, green is the ramp color, man. This is this is perfectly valid. Uh, what do you want it to be black? So you play it with uh, Revel and Riches. It, it, there are just as many ways to break this in in uh, green, like doubling season, du- doubling doubling season doubles these treasure tokens, <laughs> and that gets out of hand in a hurry. So it's real simple. It's a six mana artifact. Lands you control have tap create a treasure token, and you might be thinking to yourself. Oh, but I could just tap my lands for mana. Yeah, but you can't save the mana for later. And then you can't reap the benefits of having a bunch of artifacts on the table that can be used for improvise, that can be used to tap to have other effects. You can sack them to black cards and draw extra cards. There's a whole bunch of effects over the last couple of years that let you sack artifacts or creatures and draw two. Um, there are many, many ways to abuse this. You can use these. Can you tap artifacts for opposition? Uh, no, I don't think so. Let me look up the card real quick. But something like, uh, gear up her aether grid. Oh, no, you're, I'm sorry. Yes. Opposition, uh, tap an untapped creature. You control the tap an artifact creature land. Okay. So you can't do use opposition, but there, there are plenty of other interactions like, uh, the gear, aether grid, gear up her, gear up her aether grid, (laughs) I believe lets you tap two artifacts to do one damage to something. Yes. Yeah, this is a bonkers card. This is doubling season at Mythic. And you're just supposed to buy lots and lots and lots of these. I think my my favorite uh, combo with it is probably uh, the already broken Urza Lord High Artificer. So you can tap for a treasure token, and you tap a treasure token for blue, and you're like, that's no big deal. But next turn, you're tapping your lands for treasure tokens, and now you've got doubled mana. So anything that lets you abuse treasure tokens is going to go crazy with this. And there, and there's so many there's so many treasure token related things both in Streets of New Capenna and previous. So all all of that is just getting more all of those things are self-reinforcing to each other. I'm very confident that Smuggler's Stash is a brick. It's the kind of thing where you could just focus on this card and make a bunch of money and ignore the whole rest of the set if you wanted to. And yet, we're not done. There are plenty of other things to look at here. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me, because I've been an advocate the whole time for Thieving Skydiver out of Zendikar Rising 
Um, it just went ahead and for at least the fourth time bought 10 or 12 copies of the foil extended arts of that under $5 today because I continue to not understand how those foil extended arts are still that cheap. That card steals most of the relevant for plays from the first four turns of Commander. Your Soul Rings, your Mana Crypts, your Mana Vaults, etc. for extremely low cost. Uh, actually, I don't think it can grab zero casting cost things, so it doesn't grab Mana Crypt. Because uh, uh, I, th- I don't think X can be zero. X can't be zero, you are correct. Right. So, But it does grab Soul Rings and Shadow Spears and uh, Luxia that was Luxior that was revealed for this set, and on and on and on and on. Well, you can, uh, to to clarify, you can steal Mana Crypt, you just have to pay a kicker of one. You can't choose your X of zero. Oh, yeah. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So so as long as the cost is, the thing you you steal has to be less than the cost, or equal to the cost you pay. CMC, X or less. Yeah, so if you can steal basically everything, then, that's relevant in the first few turns of the game. Um, And if it's an equipment... You get to equip it to Thieving Skydiver, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, that, that's silly good. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> everybody playing blue is supposed to be playing this card, but and and it, indeed it is in uh, several thousand EDH rec decks. Um, uh, more than that, I think it's seventeen thousand or something now. I just posted about this in the Discord today. Let me double check what I said about it. Thieving Skydivers. Uh, any... I'll, trim, I'll, I'll trim this down in editing. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So yeah, Thieving Skydiver is in 17,000 decks on EDH Rec. That is not a number that's supposed to equate to $5 foil extended arts. And and in, technically this card is still in print. Like it's still, it, it only came out a year and a half ago. So they're not going to reprint it anytime soon in the fancy version. It's the kind of thing that could easily end up in a secret layer at some point, but that could be this year, it could be five years from now, it could be never. Um, anything's possible. So, why are we harping on about Thieving Skydiver again? Well, there's a card that looks very similar to me in Streets of New Capenna. This is a rare that's called Cunning Receiver. Blue, white for a human citizen. When Cunning Receiver enters the battlefield, choose a non-land permanent. Abilities of the chosen permanent cannot be activated. Cunning Receiver has all the activated abilities of the chosen permanent, except for loyalty abilities. You can spend mana as if it were of any color to activate these abilities. So you're basically steel cloning whatever non-planeswalker permanent you want, artifact or enchantment, or, or creature, that does things you don't want it to do, and now you can do those things. I mean, we, we love playing with other people's toys, so this is going to be a lot of fun. You're never... There's a rare game of Commander where you don't have a fun target for this. And the fact that it's two colors as opposed to the mono blue uh, or single blue pip on Thieving Skydiver, I think it makes it more narrow. You have to be aware when you're looking at these sets, sets like Streets of New Capenna, where there's a lot of three cat, like three uh, color cards, that they're going to have narrower applications. So a lot of my focus looking for bricks for a set like this will definitely be on the monocolored stuff. But I wanted to flag this because I bet you it's going to end up just like Thieving Skydiver. We're going to be... A year and a half out, it's going to be in 10k plus decks on EDH rec. Not as high as Thieving because it's it's two color. And it's going to be largely ignored and the fancy version of it's going to be cheap. And then we'll have the same conversation all over again. I mean, yeah. it 
is gonna do really fun things. This plays a lot like um, what's the instant that's blue white uh fractured identity? No, fractured something or other. Fracture um. Criminy. It's like two white. Oh, the blue. one that no, it's three white blue. And yeah, you uh, bounce target thing, and everybody else gets a copy of that thing. Yeah, fractured identity. I believe you're, Fra- you're referring to. Yeah, so this one that it it locks, it turns off their thing and becomes a cool thing for you. You know, that's that's just every, every blue white player's dream. I've turned off your thing. I've got a cool thing to play with. It's only two mana, so you've got you know four or five counter spells back to protect it. Yeah, this is this is going to be a fun card to pick up a brick of before too long. Now we're back to another super staple like Smuggler's Stash. How about Rabble Rousing? Rabble Rousing says that... Let me just track it down here on my list. Uh, here you go. I got it. It's four and a white for an enchantment. It has Hideaway 5. So when it comes into play, just like the Hideaway lands back in Lorwyn, you look at the top five. You exile one face down, and you put the rest on the bottom in a random order. And whenever you attack with one or more creatures, make that many 1-1 green and white citizen creature tokens. (laughs) Then, if you control 10 or more creatures, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. And that ignores timing restrictions and stuff. Let's be clear. Anointed Procession out of Amonkhet is an enchantment for three and a white that says if an effect would create one or more tokens under your control, it creates twice that many tokens instead. It doubles tokens. Foils of that card are currently $50. Normal versions of that card are $35. And this, to me, looks better. I, I it, don't... Has, it has more total upside. First of all, in a go-wide strategy, you are planning on attacking. And every time you attack, all the tokens that you have accumulated... Uh, double. You're attacking with five. You go right to ten. And if you go and if you if you control ten or more creatures, you get to play the card right away. So not only is it doubling your tokens, it's casting a card for free once you hit critical mass. This is an I'm... auto in in any deck where you would put anointed procession. You're probably putting rabble rousing. Possibly. I wouldn't play it in my uh, Esper Zombies deck, for instance, but I, I see the point you're making. Um, the, the thing is, is that, do you remember uh, uh, Divine Visitation? Like, uh, we, we talked about this way back with Guilds of Ravnica, whatever, it's like three white-white, whenever you get a creature, it turns in a token, it turns into a 4-4 four, four angel token. Yep, like, also, also an expensive and widely played card. The thing is, is that it has taken Divine Visitation foils forever to get expensive. And I think Rabble Rousing is going to be another one of these, like, you're going to have a chance to get a huge number of these uh, for very cheap. And when it does, I'm happy to do that. I'm just not going to be in a hurry to pick up this particular card. It's good. I'm not arguing it's it's not good, and it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. But... Uh, it is going to have its chance to be uh, dirt cheap. Divine Visitation foils are fifteen dollars. As as a myth, as a mythic from several years back, so that's a solid counterpoint. There's a, you can also make the point that Anointed Procession doubles your treasure tokens. It doubles like all for, your tokens, yes. Right. So, for instance, off something like uh, Smothering Tide, whereas Rabble Rousing is very much about creature tokens, and you but have to be there, attacking with them. 
Sure, but I mean, if you're making a bunch of tokens, you're planning on attacking. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, and, and keep in mind, if you're in, in the Naya colors and you've got in the spoils of war, as you just called, and the you're web using of war, Rabble yes. in the web of war, plus Rabble Rousing on the table, that's very, very nasty. Uh, <laughs> like, they, that can... they, they wouldn't come into a play able to attack, though, because this is an attack trigger and you've already declared your attacker. So that doesn't quite combo as fun as I'd want it to. Okay, but you could you could be also running the the red enchantment that deals damage equal to creatures power when it comes into play. You've probably got mm. Perforos dealing damage when some creatures impact come into play. trimmers. You got yeah some impact trimmers, etc. I mean, they play well together. And in yes. fact, if you don't have the in the web of war yet, you could be rabble rousing into it with the hideaway. The there's this card is an auto include in token strategies that are white. That that's my assertion, and. If these get real cheap, brick me up. <laughs> I hope yeah. this card is under underestimated. I hope it gets under a dollar, and on opening weekend, I can just snap off a couple hundred copies because I have every confidence that this is a unique enough effect. Like doubling and tripling effects have made me so much money in Magic Finance. Like I, I've been selling a ton of Fiery Emancipation lately. And I remember people saying, oh, that, that card costs too much, like in terms no, of mana. <laughs> and I was like, well, it triples. It's the narrative of the card in the showcase matters. People see it and go, ooh, triples. So my lightning bolt deals nine. Ooh. And this thing is likewise e easy to understand. It's card advantage that is very likely to take place. Uh, it's no more expensive than doubling season, which has earned its home in similar circumstances forever and ever and ever. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to beat Divine Visitation uh, in terms of rel relative to its rarity, but I guess we'll see. Um, I think on the, my on my radar at the very least, it it should be on the radars. Um, the assorted hideaway cards are really good at what they're doing. Um, we've got four of them previewed so far, if I'm not mistaken. We've got the well, green one. Well, I've got the black one on the list. Right. Talking about it next. So let's talk about that one. Cemetery Tampering. To me, this is the same kind of thing. They have attached these Hideaway 5s to things that are very likely to earn their home permanently in the builds that they are designed for. So Cemetery Tampering is all about the graveyard. Two and a black for an enchantment, Hideaway 5. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may mill three cards. Then if there are 20 or more cards in your graveyard, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. So, you're getting a free cast off the back of doing the thing that your deck wants to do anyway. Three cards uh, every turn is a lot to help set up delve, to set up uh, reanimation strategies, to set up commanders that want to have lots of things in the graveyard, like Marin or Maldrotha or whoever. And I, I can think of at least four different decks I have that would find a home for this card. I don't love it as much as Rabble Rousing because I don't think it gets... It's much more fair. It doesn't get out of hand the way that Rabble Rousing does. So if I'm choosing between the two at the same rarity, just throw all your money at Rabble Rousing probably and ignore this one. But in terms of will this will this get there given enough time? Yeah, probably. Um, I I think that there are a lot of decks that will love to mill three. They don't, they don't care what the three cards are. They just want to dump it all in the yard. And there's they're gonna have disgusting things to do with it, so there's there's no bad 
way to to make use of cemetery tampering. This will show up with anything that wants to self mill, and I'm I'm sure that you know your mimeoplasm or your necrotic ooze combo deck are gonna look at it. I'm gonna be impressed with all the dredge players who look at it and think about it and say, no, nah, I'm 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 good. I don't need this. But I'm gonna be impressed when somebody tries it. It's gonna show up at some point in a modern list, and I'm gonna say like you my new hero all right let's talk about stimulus package definitely would be more excited about this if it was a rare or a mythic it's only an un in uncommon but it looks pretty good in those same not necessarily naya could be naya could be jeskai uh sorry not jeskai naya or teamer uh go wide strategies it's an enchantment for four mana two red green when Stimulus Package enters the battlefield, you create two treasure tokens. Sacrifice a treasure, create a 1-1 one, one green and white citizen creature token. Here's the thing. There are more and more and more token-producing cards. A bunch in this set. You got Smothering Tide. You got Dark Dockside Extortionist. You got the new Red Dragon from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and so on and so forth. More and more in every game of Commander I play, there is just a pile of treasure on every table. And for the go-wide strategies to be able to turn those treasures into creatures is pretty busted. I would agree. Uh, what's the uh, card that we got not too long ago that whenever you make a treasure or a food or a clue, make one of each? Yeah. Uh, Ac Academy Manufacturer out of MH2, which was a spec as well. That one, uh, it gets better looking by the day with each one of these um you're going to get a whole lot of you get six tokens yeah it's just ridiculous and uh i think this one's a really great way like if you thought the um what was the green mythic that we talked about a second ago um smuggler stash uh if you thought making a treasure every turn was good can i interest you in tap a land make a one one well yeah and and here's the thing if i was balancing this card in design, I probably would have made it say, when it enters the battlefield, create two treasure tokens, sack two treasure tokens, create a 1-1 one, one green and white citizen creature token. Two treasures per 1-1 one, one seems like a good exchange rate. One treasure for a 1-1 one, one is a ridiculous exchange rate. This is... Uh... Because, because you get to stockpile your treasure tokens and threaten to make creatures, but you don't have to make them till you're ready. And you can do wrath effects to clear the board, then convert treasure into citizens you you can make use of the treasure in other ways and then later turn it into creatures you can do it at instant speed as the people have declared their full combats etc it's it's this is a very good card <laughs> if you've got a pile of treasure and at minimum it's creating two tokens which in your token stack is is not a great rate of exchange but it sets up so much else that you're probably up to so let me uh, set you up with something else. If you want to play some Jund, uh, you can add in the uh, $12 uncommon of Pitiless Plunderer, which says uh, three and a black, whenever another creature you control dies, create a, a treasure. And now you just need some way to sacrifice your creatures, uh, add your favorite Blood Artist variant, and sure. you just killed the table. Yep, that's nasty. And there's going to be a bunch of other ways to abuse Stimulus Package. So, again, I'd be more excited if this was a rare. There'll be a bunch of the foil uncommons coming out of the collector booster boxes. I think the set's going to be relatively popular. Not as popular as Neon Dynasty, but it'll do well. And down the road, 
if the stats on EDH rec uh, justify it. And part of what we're looking for here is that one of these Naya commanders for Capenna becomes one of the top five of the early summer, because that's going to drive some of this. Uh, anyway, stimulus package, very good looking card. This next one, uh, I'm as confident that it's a brick as I am a smuggler's stash, but not everybody in the Discord is convinced. I'm talking about Luxior, Giada's Gift. And let me just bring that up so I can read all of the text, because I haven't quite memorized it yet. It is a one casting cost legendary artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each counter on it. Well, that's interesting because there's a bunch of counters, matters, uh, strategies that came out of Ikoria and then again now in Streets of New Capenna. But then this thing gets really crazy. Equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to its other types. Equipping a planeswalker only costs one. Equipping any other creature costs three. So let's say that you've built an Atraxa deck that has a bunch of counters, matters, creatures, and a bunch of planeswalkers which is a very common thing. In fact, that is arguably the most popular commander deck of all time. This means that if you have a 4-4 uh, creature based on counters on that creature, and you put Luxior on it, it's going to be an 8-8. It means that if you have a Planeswalker with 6 loyalty on it, but you have nothing to block uh, with to protect it, you can turn it into a creature and not worry about it. Now, you've also exposed yourself to creature removal on your Planeswalker, but that's going to be a situational call. Bottom line, this to me looks very much like the Chain Veil, an auto-include and superfan builds from here to eternity, an extremely unique effect that I don't think Wizards is going to duplicate very often, and a mythic that is going to get down to whatever it is because it's not going to be relevant, probably, in standard Pioneer, etc. Probably, probably doesn't show up in Modern, although I have seen some combos floating around with it. Not just with Devoted Druid, but in with some some Planeswalkers. Um, but just on casual cool factor plus EDH alone, brick. This is this is a brick. I don't think you're going to have a chance to get very many at a brick price, to be honest. Um, even the the regular frame non foils, like this, interacts with Planeswalkers in a way that people are going to want to do. We talked about the Devoted Druid combo earlier. Um, there's a lot of shenanigans to be done here, and I I don't think you're going to have a chance to get it super cheap. I think it'll it'll end up, you know, a buck or two, and then you can still get a pretty formidable brick. You're just not going to, you know, build a house out of it. I don't even know that it's going to get down to a dollar. It's pre-ordering for 25 or 30 in North America. Now, where I'm going to buy them is Japan. This is exactly the card you want to get in Japan or Europe. Because where they're not playing much commander, they're going to look at this and think, okay, that doesn't do anything. Um, that, so it's going to be cheap. And there's going to be foil extended art Japanese copies for 1,500 yen or something, which will be like $12 US. And those will be auto-buys because they'll be future $40 to $60 cards. I had no idea it was pre-ordering for that much. Yeah, it's not going to be any, even close to a dollar. Like, I think it could get under 10 for sure. Um, I'm just going to look for its low. Like, wherever right. I see the low on this, I'm going to snap some off. And I'm probably going to be ordering opening weekend in Japan and snapping some off because I think it's going to be obviously cheap there. I'm with you on that. All right, so moving along to uh, one of the another treasure payoff card. 
there's this red creature I wanted to talk about. It's it, called Professional, Professional Facebreaker. Face two and a red so, for a human warrior. It's got menace, and it's a 2-3. So it's meh. It's, you know, hard to block. Uh, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create a treasure token. So that's max one treasure per turn. Doesn't matter how many creatures or how much damage, how many opponents. Um, and it has sacrifice a treasure, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. Means you get to do your lands. You get to cast anything else that it shows up. You're just going to go to town. You, However deep you want to get, you can get. So going back to Smuggler's Dash, tap your right. lands at the end of somebody's turn, make a bunch of treasures. On your next turn, sack a treasure, exile a card, cast it, spend lands and or treasures until you run out of treasures to sack to Professional Facebreaker. Yep. And again, just in the world of Smothering Tithe, you see Smothering Tithe players with 5, 6, 7, 12 treasure tokens all the time that don't necessarily have something to do with them. Like, treasure payoffs exist, but more of them better. <laughs> because, <laughs> because there are more ways to generate treasure lately than there are to make obvious use of it, unless you go out of your way to connect the dots in those synergies. So the more of these things they give us that take advantage of Smothering Tithe and Dockside Extortionist, etc., and we know Extortionist is about to get a reprint, um, the better. This is a very... This is a welcoming vampire level card, as far as I'm concerned. I'm In the context of, of an EDH format that is leaning harder and harder into treasure, Facebreaker is going to see a ton of play. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I dig it. And I'm, like you said, the, the more things interact with treasure, the better some of the early treasure cards get. You know, your Pitiless Plunderer, your Revel in Riches, the Smothering Tithe. Like, it's, it's all really really good you know saving your mana can be a, a very powerful thing and especially all the different ways you can sacrifice an artifact for value these days and i'd be willing to bet that say that there are borderless vip pack foil cards for double masters 2 bet you smothering tide is in there like they're gonna give us dockside extortionist in, in the commander legend set and then double masters 2 has smothering tide it's a necessary reprint this year and that's like the last last known slot for it to show up that seems pretty likely, yeah. I would I would not argue with that. All right, moving on to another mythic that caught my eye, and I love it when there are mythics that look this good because <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the time they give you like creatures that probably should have been rare at mythic, and you're like, eh. Uh, but this looks pretty good. Arcane bombardment, four double red enchantment. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, exile an instant or sorcery card at random from your graveyard. Then copy each card exiled with Arcane Bombardment. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. So the first time, it just randomly casts an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. No big deal. Now, if you're clever and you just got something big and nasty in there, like in Garrick's Wake, and it's the only <laughs> instant or sorcery in your graveyard, you're still going to go off pretty quickly. I was thinking but, time stretch, but that works. Sure, but even if it was just something random, like some decent instant or sorcery cool maybe it grabs a counter spell eh not, not so good but on subsequent turns it casts two spells then three spells then four spells then five spells you see how that gets out of hand kind of quick 
And if you're building your deck around it to have proactive rather than reactive um, spells, so like no counter spells, for instance, you're going to be doing a bunch of nasty things. So like, this has like Sunbird's Invocation vibes to me from Ixalan and probably ends up being very heavily played in Spells Matters decks. I think that uh, what I'm really looking forward to are the people who are trying to like bust this card wide open by uh, getting around the um, the the rulings with it. So like you're going to have your... Um, your adventure cards which are going to cast as casting an instant or sorcery but they won't count for stuff you would exile from your graveyard so you can finagle ways to do all of that and and get your graveyard set up the way you want it um there's some some really neat tricks but even if you're just playing it straight like you said if it stays in play and you have uh an instant or two like if you cast this uh, and seven mana, and you've got mana left over for an opt, and then you get, you know, one random thing. If you've managed to make it to your next untap, you're going to be able to cast a sorcery on your turn and an instant on somebody else's turn, and you're going to get all of your value on this card. So I'm I'm real impressed with what it's uh, what it's going to do, and this, you're right, this is a card I'm looking forward to buying a, a large stack of and just waiting on. What's uh what's Thousand Year Storm at these days? Speaking of similar cards. Well, Sunbird Invocation, which was a rare out of Ixalan block, um, is in almost nineteen thousand decks on EDH Rec, four percent of all red decks, and it's only a dollar, but it was a rare. Um, this is at a similar power level, but it ramps it. That power level expands as more turns go by, whereas right. Sunbirds is kind of like a consistent doubling of effects like it doesn't double the effect of the thing you cast but it casts another thing from your deck um but you're basically getting two things to happen every turn whereas this one goes one two three four five so it's to my mind you know jason made a comment i think on twitter or something about like arcane bombardment replacing sunbird's invocation in some decks it might but it also might just play alongside it yeah um, as as two ways for your spells matters deck to progress to your end game um this next one is interesting an offer you can't refuse it counters non-creature spells for one blue and the downside is you give them two treasure a lot of people commenting that that's too high a cost others wondering aloud whether this might be the next swan song or wash away um i haven't made up my mind yet it's only a foil uncommon, same kind of thing as stimulus package. So we're in the same kind of boat. You just wait and see what happens on the EDH rec. If it's putting up big stats and lots of people are playing it, then you move in on the foils when when they start to get a little more shallow. And in the meantime, you can probably just wait and see. I mean, like, we know that in Commander, a 2-2 flyer, it's bad. You don't want your opponent to, to hit you with that. But it's going to take 10 free attacks before you're really, like, regretting your life choices. You countered something you needed to counter. That's all that really matters. Like, this is ridiculous in the decks that are trying to, you know, protect their combo turn. You know, one blue mana, counter target thing. I don't care if you get two more mana. I don't want you to have another card. You know, this well, is amazing. And, and, I would argue, and I would argue that most of the games I've played this winter 
on webcam with uh, the pro traders. I, when I want to use a negate, it's usually turns five plus. Like I don't yeah. care about ca countering your soul ring. I'm going to counter your kill spell or your wrath of God or the thing that lets you combo off. And at that point in the game, very often, you know, someone's got a smothering tithe and they're sitting on nine treasure tokens and no one's paying for it at all, ever. Because once they get past a certain once point, you yeah. <laughs> what does it matter if you give them another one? Like at a certain point in a lot of games of Commander lately, I've noticed that people just get to effectively infinite mana in the sense that they have more mana than they can use in a turn. And at that point, there's no penalty to having a one mana negate because I don't care if you have more mana past a certain point when you've got you've ramped to 14 lands in play or you've got Urborg out with a Cabal Coffers or your um, your deck is no longer even using mana because you've got Omniscience in play or whatever. The, you know, I'd rather counter the Omniscience <laughs> right. than worry, worry about you having two more treasure. So I actually suspect that this card is going to see a significant amount of play. But again, as a foil uncommon that will be opened in droves out of the collector boosters, I think we've got some time to figure it out. Uh, moving along, we've got yet another Praetor because Wizards is clearly building to the point where um, they give us all five Praetors and then there's going to be a set revealed for 2023, probably fall of 2023 if I was guessing, where the there's going to be some showdown with the Phyrexians, whether that's right. going to be on, on Dominaria or it's going to be on New Phyrexia, who knows, but it's clearly coming. So they've been giving us the slow drip on the Praetors, and the one for this set is a new version of Urobrask. And this version of Urobrask reads to me as something that is likely to be a spec, not because it's a Stone Cold Amazing, but because it's just a solid card that will fit into a whole bunch of different places. It is a 5-mana Phyrexian Praetor, 4-4 four, four Haste. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. So it's a card advantage engine for as long as they don't kill it. And then at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, the next time they would draw a card this turn, instead they exile the top card of their library, and they may play it this turn. So it sounds like they're still getting the draw, but the card is... It's only that turn, yeah. It's it's the, the have to play it this turn, but that's only for their original draw. This doesn't do anything to them drawing additional cards. And if they and what people might be missing on first look is that if they draw something like a counter spell and they don't have a way to use it on their turn, it's effectively like you've stolen the draw. If they yeah. have a kill spell or a wrath of God or something that they want to use later in the game, if it doesn't have immediate purpose, or Rebrask denies them the card. This is this is nice. <laughs> this is a solid card, not a must play, but it's also going to have some synergies here and there and just get played for being solid value i mean it's going to see play in people who want to play all the praetors index you know there's going to be a not small per percentage of people who do that but i also think that like um this second generation of praetors is definitely much more balanced than the first generation of praetors because the first generation like, th if this had been the first Ourobrask, it would have said, whenever your opponent draws a card, it's exiled instead, they have to play it this turn. You know, this one, just shutting it down one turn, is uh, impressive restraint on the part of Wizards. I mean, I don't know how balanced Jinjitaxius 
<laughs> is out of Neon Dynasty. But I think one of the points you can make here is that Jin is likely to see more play than Urbrass. They're the same yes. rarity. So you probably just focus on Jin if, if you got to pick one of the two. Um, this is a card I'll be watching, but again, I'm likely to buy more copies of Jinjitaxis before I touch Urabrask. Uh Finishing off this lit early list, Halo Fountain. This card's stupid. <laughs> two, two and a white for an artifact. Three different abilities on this card. First of all, it's a spew of angel goo. Angel decom- it, it's, decomposed it's angel juice. Ground up, a- ground up angel juice. I Straight mean, just, up out of the that, matrix. That alone is amusing. White tap, untap a tapped creature you control. Create a one-one green and white citizen creature token. So you have creatures that tap for value, or they attacked, and you would like them to block. You get to untap it and make a creature for one white. Seems pretty solid. Seems Two, good. Two tap, untap, two tap creatures you control, draw a card. No, oh, no. you attacked with you attacked with your two best creatures, but you would like them to block for your planeswalker next turn? No problem. Untap them and draw a card for two mana. For two white mana. Also seems very solid. Very good. Five five tap, untap fifteen tap creatures you control, you win the game. Ding ding ding. So let's go back to Rabble Rousing. Rabble Rousing is the path that gets you to the victory condition on Halo Fountain. Yes. You've got uh, like five you've got like five tokens. The turn you play Rabble Rousing, you attack, you go to ten. The next turn you go to twenty. Somebody has killed some, blocked some, you still got fifteen in play. You are going to tap play Halo Fountain in the interim, and then if they don't kill it or cl- or wipe the board of your tokens, you just won. So, and this is a mythic. It's got broad applications because there's going to be all sorts of combos people discover where you get to untap stuff and make creatures and that triggers things on board. Drawing cards is good. Untapping blockers is good. There's a lot of ways this is going to be busted and you can use things like Voltaic Key because this is an artifact so you can untap it, use it multiple times per turn. There's gonna, there's probably something out there that I can't think of where when a creature comes into play, you can untap permanent or something like that, and when you, and then Halo Phantom will go infinite. Uh, let's see, this goes infinite with a whole lot of things uh, that you can do some shenanigans with. Uh, there's going to be a lot of like, uh, what's the, the one? Paradox Engine is still uh, legal in one or two formats on Arena. So you can do some disgusting things there. Like if you uh, if you have something that says when a creature comes into play, untap a permanent, and you have a birds of paradise, then this makes infinite tokens, right? And infinite and infinite mana. No, not infinite mana because the bird has to fuel the halo fountain, but it does make infinite tokens. You need. Something I don't know. Like I don't know what that. I don't know what that third piece is, but I'm sure it exists. Intruder and it alarm and fate stitcher or something like that. Oh, intruder alarm works. Yeah, well, Intruder Alarm untaps creatures. It doesn't untap the Halo Fountain. Ah, uh, yes. Anyway, so bottom line, I, I don't really need to think about it too hard. I just know Halo Fountain's going to be a spec. Yes. It's, it's too obvious. I mean, it says you win the game, and you win the game cards have had a life of their own. Uh, people are always trying to, you know, ice skate uphill. So this is going to be a way that people are going to want to tap five white mana and fifteen untap fifteen tapped creatures to win the game. 
So, uh, good job. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to see dumb things happen with this card. All right. So my top five here. We'll revisit this at the set review in a couple weeks. Smuggler Stash, Rabble Rousing, Luxior, Giada's Gift, Professional Facebreaker, and Halo Fountain all look like very obvious bricks to me. I think Halo Fountain is my favorite on here, but Luxior is probably a close second. Um, Stash, Rabble Rousing, and Facebreaker are neat, but like people are going to want to build around Halo Fountain real hard, and I want to, I want to be there for that. I think my top pick here is Smuggler Stash. Build, okay. make, making insane amounts of treasure. It's, it's just an, the narrative of the card is extremely simple, and then there's all sorts of layers of abuse beyond the obvious. And it's green. It, it's got a single green pip. That's a color that's going to be can get to six mana on turn three. <laughs> this this card's silly, and will be heavily played. It, it it could be the meat hook massacre of the set, to be honest. I don't think it's going to be that expensive, but I, I like your optimism. And uh, I just want to point out, James, if you ever have a chance to counter a soul ring, do it. Because <laughs> it feels real good. I've I've manatized a soul ring, and I had to get up and do a victory dance. So, you know, when you get your offer you can't refuse on somebody's soul ring, like, yeah, no, no, you have two mana just one time instead of the whole game. Do that. Do that and do it with a smile. All right, so let's do a quick review of the April Super Drop. Uh, this is a relatively straightforward one. Most of the drops are leaning pretty heavily on strong art and not on providing a very financially compelling group of cards. So let's tackle the one that I think is the obvious winner right off the bat. There's a drop that only comes in Gilded Foil which is a new foil treatment uh, only seen in the Streets of New Capenna collector booster boxes and here. And this is the same style as you will see in the CBs, but with three commanders that um, are getting a new fancy treatment. They chose Atraxa, Brea, and Yidris. Yidris is not that big a deal. Atraxa, on the other hand, is the top commander of all time. Uh, and Brea is top 20-ish. So, and I have built both of those decks and rebuilt them in various incarnations and never gotten tired of them because they're so multifaceted that there's many ways to build them. Um, I believe that they will continue to be strong commanders in the format. They let you play, I think any commander that is flexible in approach, that tends to synergize with a bunch of different things in the game simultaneously, um, that is multi, multi is like three, four, or five colors gives players so many options that they they garner staying power. This is essentially three commanders for about sixteen bucks a piece. The foil borderless attractions from the VIP packs related to double masters are over a hundred dollars. Might even be higher now. Let me just double check. I know I I basically sold out of them. The borderless foils, just borderless is up to uh, 75, and the foils are at 115 or so. So, you can probably just hang your hat on the Atraxas being with, worth 50 bucks given enough time, and then presumably there is some kind of bonus here. Like, there's probably a fourth card. If, if there's any, if there's a sexy bonus associated with any of the drops this time, it's got to be this drop. Seems and, likely. 
It could be whatever. It could be another commander, could be a land, could be a treasure token. Who knows? Whatever it is, probably going to do pretty fine if you go after these. So if you had to pick just one, I would say that this is probably a $100 drop given 12 to 18 months. And I guess we'll see. Now, covering off the other drops, we have Matt Jukes, special guest. And this is an artist known mostly for abstract landscapes. My concern with these is that they look like basic land art. They really do. But they are, they are in fact, for the Czech lands. So Glacial Fortress, Drowned Catacomb, Dr Dragon Skull Summit, Root Band Craig, Sun Petal Grove, etc. You can get a foil set of these for 40 These lands see more play than you realize. And Glacial Fortress in particular sees play in modern blue-white uh, control and probably Pioneers. Uh, is it Pioneer legal? I can't remember. Anyway, tons of commander play as well on all of these lands. I, I'm probably going to steer clear of this because I don't think the art matches the cards very well. And as such, I think a lot of people will steer clear of them or overlook them. But there's always this weird dichotomy with secret layers where the more that they are ignored, the more likely they are to be worth money. <laughs> because if they sell poorly, that that's the only amount of copies that makes it into the wild. They don't backdoor them somewhere. Right. Like there, there's no There's no dumping from distributors like there is say with double feature product to the gaming company where a whole bunch of it lands at one time because wizards wanted to unload it this stuff just gets printed at a lower volume if it doesn't order well so that's worth considering there's an artist series drop from magali villeneuve that has really great art for mother of runes death shadow elvish mystic and forest the death shadow art is worth the price of admission alone if you play Dash Shadow builds in Modern. Problem with that is that Dash Shadow foils have languished for a while, last printed in Double Masters, and it's not 100% clear that Grix's Death Shadow is going to stay in the top ranks of Modern. It was doing very well for a while, now it's kind of on, without Luris to lean on, it's probably a half step down. But this is the best art we've ever had for it. Mm, it's a little questionable. The Mother of Runes, we just had a secret layer last year that gave us four versions of Mother of Runes. And this art is probably better than all of that art. It's really yeah, amazing, it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's probably better than all of that art. But there's also been a bunch of versions recently. There's an Elvish Mystic included here. Art of this is pretty good. And there's a Forest that I think is a stunner. It really The, the Forest, like... what. I would be really tempted if they'd done, like, a full set of basics in this style. You know? That would have been the most tempting set of basics they could have thrown at us for a while. Like, this is really good. It looks wood-carved. It's got yeah. uh, layers of you know, it's wood carving. It's a lot of like, depth. A lot of depth. Yeah. It's nice amazing. Nice spot color effects. Yeah. Thank God this is a full art card. And, you know, they they, they did Magali wrong not giving Magali. Like, we need more full art here. Yeah, I don't understand why the forest is full art, but the other three are not. Had they made these all borderless, then I think it would have been an obvious home run in foil. Um, as it stands, I think it's probably solid. Where What I ended up stating to the pro traders in my analysis on the Discord um, was that there are multiple drops in this super drop, including this one, where I suspect they are gainers, but not 
big gamers. Like I think they're going to be 25 to 40% in a year kind of thing. And then minus fees and shipping, is it really worth it versus your other options? Like, is that going to beat a stack of smuggler stash? Probably not. But if you want these for personal use, play with them a bit and then sell them back into the market when they've risen, you might do all right. Um, and the forest is is cute because if the forest catches on, right. it's hard to predict. Hard to predict because there's so many options these days. Um, but if it does catch on and hollows out, then between that and the death shadow, they could carry it. I think my recommendation here is if you're going to grab one or the other, probably go with the foils. Um, but I, I, I think that I feel more comfortable recommending this as a buy for personal use uh, more than a spec. There's another artist series that's similar, Siddharth Chaturvedi and Chaturvedi? Chaturvedi. I think that's correct. Um, the card selection here is much worse. The art is equally good. Uh, Nomad Outpost, which is strictly worse than the Ikoria Dryland. Uh, an Island, which is beautiful. Uh, and again, full art instead of regular for some reason. Concordant Crossroads sees plenty of play, uh, or sorry, would see more play had it ever been printed since what chronicles chronicles yeah so this is the first printing so people are wondering whether this is the carpet of flowers of this nope. super drop where it's going to be worth big money later i'm dubious uh, i think it's a narrower application card that's mostly pricey because it hasn't seen a reprint in so long it does if you're going to go with this drop i think you're definitely getting the foil because it's the first foil ever of concordant crossroads and outside of that, I'm happy to just leave this one alone and see what happens with it. Yeah, like I, I, I my uh, my friends uh, group chat and I, we got in a, a big heated one about this because uh, I think Concordant Crossroads is a bad magic card. I don't want to be playing it. If I need to give all my stuff haste, I'm going to be in some other color where I can do that. I don't need to be mono green. You you, know? you ditch like you ditch original or brass or you get anger in the yard or whatever and you're yeah go. you you play uh, even just uh, fervor for two and a red to give my stuff haste you know I play rhythm of the wild for red green and now they can't be countered and they have haste like we can do better than this and we definitely don't want to give it to everybody else because giving this stuff to other people is going to be like you're giving three players a copy of this card. And they didn't have to do anything. So you've got to be doing some really busted things with it. Then we've got a artist series, Wayne Reynolds, uh, that has Sram Senior Edificer, Balthor the Defiled, Torbrand, Thane of Red Fell, and Dapala, Pilot Exemplar. The theme here is dwarves. And I could see these possibly taking off when the Lord of the Rings set lands next year, uh, because presumably there'll be a bunch of dwarves and people will be building dwarf related decks. Um, the art here is fantastic. Uh, for personal use, I like these a lot. These are all cards you will eventually find reason to play. Um, SRAM has some modern applications. Torbrand's just good. Torbrand's just good in, in red decks. Dipala makes its way into vehicle decks if you're in those two colors. Balthor uh, can do some shenanigans with graveyardy themes. Eh, it's it's so middling that like again i feel much more comfortable saying that these are going to show modest gains over time and they're solid as personal pickups the other one that strikes me as unique enough to give a second glance is the finally left-handed magic cards this is literally it was like their april fool's joke and then they made it an actual drop um it's literally magic cards that are set up for left-handed people so the casting costs are in the upper left instead of the upper right the loyalty 
uh, abilities for the planeswalker are on the right instead of the left, and so on and so forth. They're giving you Sisse Weatherlight Captain, Empress Kalina, Jarelf's Messenger, Rog Rock Son of Raga, and Garak Caller of Beasts. And again, this is like very middle of the road cards. Like Sisse, we just got foil etched in Modern Horizons 2. Empress Galena with new art and foil is pretty cool. Ditto Garak. Jarelf's Messenger sees play in the Yawgmoth decks in Modern. So that's a little interesting. And then Rog Rock is kind of a throwaway here. Um, if I'm touching these, I'm probably going foil again because unique plus foil. And they'll probably find a home, but I don't see anything that's going to like drive these through the roof. Has Empress Galena had any other printings? Uh, I want to say no. Yeah, she she hasn't had it. So it's just invasion or bust. So you're looking at, you know, $19 for the non-foil and $200 for the foil. So Galena alone makes this not a bad drop. It's just that, it, like you said, it's going to take time to go up and it's not going to go up a whole lot. I mean, this uh, this Garouk is uh, a pretty good Garouk if you haven't played with the Collar of Beasts. It's just that all of these cards, like you said, they're all they're all pretty good. None of them are like holy biscuits. It's broken right in half. Yeah, and the thing is that heading into the summer, there's just so many options to make obvious money. Like just some of three of the five cards I said were my top from New Capenna are probably going to beat the average returns on this drop, and that's the thing. Um, then there, the final drop is just some totally normal guys, which is some wacky art by an artist named Roman Klonek. And it has Borderless Void Winnower, Goblin Settler, Borderless Collector Oof, and Borderless Vengevine. Well, the problem with Vengevine is its heyday is beyond behind us. Collector Oof sees tons of play in multiple formats. Cube, Commander, Modern. Um, Goblin Settler has never had a foil. It was a portal card or something. Right. Or, or Starter 99 or something like that. So it's been out of print for ages. And then Void Winnerer is a very popular commander card. I, I think if you go after the foils of this set, you'll be okay. Like, you you won't be disappointed given enough time. But again, it's it's very even uh, kind of value distribution here. And I think that of these four that I'm very, like, wishy-washy on, one of them might end up surprising me. But I don't think enough of them will surprise me to, for instance, recommend that you go after the Bundle Bundle or the Full of Foils bundle, or the non-foil bundle. In fact, bundles don't look particularly great here, um, just because I think you're going to get stuck stuck holding too much for too long when you don't need to. And instead, I think you could probably approach this from the other side of things. You can wait until this, these actually get delivered. They're not holding your money for that whole time. You can see which singles seem to be flying off the shelves and get in pretty close to the floor on the, on the key singles. And then if the Death Shadow, for instance, doubles in a couple of months, you can pick up on that trend and get in and out without having to touch the rest of this. Um, I am probably going to get a couple of the Gilded Foil sets, and that's probably going to do it for me. None of these are like striking me as things I, I want to have long term. Um, I had to look up Vengevine. I forgot it's been reprinted. Like it was Double Masters and Ultimate Masters. Like there's been a whole lot of this card, and I I hadn't I've completely forgotten. So I don't think the the last the totally normal guys 
is going to have uh, that much to recommend it. And the dredge builds don't run it right now. Yeah. Like, Gob Goblin Settler is fun if you can flicker it, but it's a red card, which usually isn't the flicker color. So, uh, and you, if you want to destroy lands, you know, you've got uh, Avalanche Riders. That's been an option for the longest time, so. Personally, I suspect I'm going to get four of the Gilded Foil Edition, or eight of the Gilded Foil Edition, one of those two. And then I'm probably going to get a couple of the Megali Villeneuve, because if there's any of these that jumps out at me that I might get there. I think it's that one. Maybe I'll get two of that and two of just some totally normal guys, and we'll see where they land. This this poor Siddharth person, I don't I don't know what they did to make Wizards so mad that they decided Nomad, Outpost, Ghost Quarter, and Island would be the other three cards. Like... So, I, I think because they, they there was something about a theme, like telling stories with the cards, and indeed, the art of these cards is gorgeous. Uh, but, why are these all full art? But but when but when they're not borderless, <laughs> yeah, it it's it doesn't really. It's the same problem we had with the Amonkhet invocations, where that that set of art is incredible, but a lot of them just didn't represent at scale at that small scale because um, they were heavily detailed. So, you know, I would like to own prints of some of this uh, Siddharth stuff, but uh, I can. I think I can pass on the cards. I'm with you on oh, that. Oh, they, they also revealed the latest uh, Astrology Lands for Secret Layer, this time Ares. Um, again, nobody seems to give any shits whatsoever about these. It's going to be very funny if they start showing up with really cool bonus inclusions <laughs> and nobody ordered them. I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's the, the risk we're willing to run, you know? It, it's like... I let's see what do I have I'm looking at my secret layer stash I've got 10 of the uh, full text uh, sets under here and I'm aware that that's going to take a while to get there because they're basic lands and you're going to have your choice of 12 different ones they are going to do this whole set aren't they they're going to get every sign will get its mount will get its land whoop de doo so that's the secret layers for the week, and I guess that wraps us up. Where can people find you online, Cliff? You can find me online at uh, on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my Friday articles on MTGPrice.com. And you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. Also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year or $7.99 if you don't need group buys. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, we'd like to remind you that MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That's it for today, James. We covered a whole lot of stuff. Good job, buddy. A lot of ground covered, and we'll have more Streets of New Capanna next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.